0: Well, the time is now. Somebody remember that? Yeah. And what's the rest of it? Because people, because people matter. Now, some remember our capital campaign where we raised funds for things that that expansion covered and, and uh, some improvements in our parking and everything. The time is now because people matter. Now, I want to confess to you, that's not original with us. We just used it now I don't remember anybody saying the specific words but that theme is all through the Bible when you think about it the the idea of time the idea of urgency there's a passage in Romans I just love the King James version it says it is now high time to awake out of sleep don't you like that <laughs> now the other translators that's like. I really like that it's now high time Kind of like now, right? Now is to wake up out of sleep, get get busy doing what God wants us to do because the end is coming. I, I think hurricanes and earthquakes and things have kind of made people a little bit more attentive about that. And uh, it doesn't help, though. Eight days ago, you know, we were all supposed to be raptured. Eight days ago. And why they do this, I don't know. It, it seems like every once in a while somebody comes up, they figured it out, that Jesus is coming. I even had someone tell me that pastors in our section, and what a, what a great sectional council we had here Tuesday, where from five counties, pastors and mostly missionaries were here. And the director of Teen Challenge was standing up here. Right next to him was a man who spent about six years in prison, I, I think he said, because of drug convictions and drug abuse. What a powerful name it is that it wasn't methadone, it wasn't a substitute drug, it was the life giver stepped into that man's life and broke the bondage of that. You know, this is is why we think about what is going on right now because we can't look down the road and get lost in a prediction. What I like to say to people who are date setters, I like to say this to them, stop it. (laughs) Don't do this. This distracts us from what we need to be about. Don't, don't keep doing this. How about just doing something for the kingdom of God today? When you put a date like that out, it's kind of like, to me, just people get into this, um, I, I, don't even, I don't even think they really believe that, but it just, for people who do, they should be out there telling the rest of us or telling the sinners they need to get ready. Um, but I believe it distracts us. The time is now. The day of salvation is today. Today is the only day you can decide anything with you and the Lord. You can't, you can't do anything but today. We can repent today. We can confess today. We can cry out to God today. We can say, Lord, I want your purpose in my life. I want you to renew me, restore me, do something, heal me. As Lauren gave in that word, wherever you're at right now, this is a time to call out to God is right now, not to put it off, not to wait. And we're going to start with a couple of places in the Bible. I want you to get ready. We're going to go to Matthew 9 and John chapter 4. Today's the only day we have. It's the day of salvation. It's the day that we forsake our plans for his plans. It's the day we surrender ourselves to his purpose and, and his wisdom and his great work in calling us to be about his work. The time is now. Time for what? We're going to get there. Scripture identifies the world that we live in as a vast harvest field. Scripture shows that humanity, the metaphor of a vast harvest field that God wants workers to step into. In both instances in Scripture, Jesus is the one uttering those words. Matthew nine is the place. So is John four. We're going to go to John four. I love the Gospel of John. Can't read it enough. Every time I in the beginning was the word. Every time I hear those words, it just pulls me in because I get to let Apostle John tell me again the things about Jesus. But it gets to chapter four. One of the great stories. By the way, this is the only gospel writer that records this account. Love this story. <clears throat> If there's anything that should break down ethnic prejudice in our minds is watch how Jesus responded to people like this Samaritan woman. In fact, she was so taken back by by the fact that he said something to her. And that's her response is, uh, you're not supposed to be talking to me. And it's not a matter that that's offending her. She says, you, a Jewish man... mm, Talking to me, you know, you're stepping over a boundary here. And so the conversation was around that well, give me a drink of water, and you know how the story unfolds. Um, The rest of, he sends the the 12 apostles into town to get food for lunch. Now think about it. He must have not wanted any of them there, because I don't think it took all 12 of them to carry the groceries back. Right? Now, here's my logical thinking. Then when I read something like this, I say, well, why did all of them go? Because it was his intention to get them out of the way. He probably thought this woman, and he knew that he had an appointment that day. He even said, I have to go through Samaria. We have to travel today through Samaria for this little lady. When they arrived back, they missed the whole drama. They just saw a woman talking to him and him talking to her like... What does she want? Why is he talking to her? You know, they were like, she's not supposed to be saying anything to him. He's not supposed to be. So she leaves, and they missed the whole thing. They don't even know why she's left. But what they do know is that, hey, we remembered uh, we brought him lunch. So they they pressed him. I think this is verse 33. They pressed him to eat something. And verse 34 is where we're going to pick it up. Because in verse 34 he basically tells them he's already eaten. He has already had a meal, and they're wondering, has somebody brought him something to eat? Well, I, want you to, I want to pick this up in verse 34. He says, my meal today, my food, my meat and potatoes that I just had happened to do with the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Isn't that something God's work? Jesus said, I'm, I'm in the Father's work and my food, the substance of my life, is to do what he sent me. And I want you to circle that word sent. If you're like my, my mom and dad and their Bibles, it's marked up. My Bible's marked up, but not like my mom and dad's Bibles. And I'm fourth out of six kids, so I, don't, I didn't get either one of the Bibles. So there's just something wrong with that. But I want you to circle the word sent. He who sent me. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? He brings this idea of harvest into the conversation. I tell you, open your eyes and look on the fields. Now, what is he saying when he says, look on the fields? He says, look at people. The work that the Father sent me to do has to do with people. It's all about people. And he's pressing this image in their mind. He says, don't say, or you've been saying four months. He said, I tell you, open your eyes, look on the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The people are ready. This is what he's saying. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. This is about salvation. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. Now, here's this word again. I sent you. You ought to circle that. I sent you. This is not I'm going to send you. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. He's really referencing this little lady that just left the scene. There's something about this word sinned that should command our interest. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go to Matthew nine, because you're going to see this word pop up again in Matthew nine. This is Matthew's summary of a, a great time of ministry Jesus preached. This is kind of like a revival report. They had all kind of powerful results, and Matthew's kind of like just giving us this. This is a great report. This is in verse thirty-five of Matthew nine. This is toward the end of the chapter. And Matthew says, Jesus went through all the cities, villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But the praise report stops right there. Because Jesus is not just clapping about the results, is he? He sees something beyond the healings beyond the people responding to his message, he sees a multitude of people that he deems, in fact, this thing, he was moved with compassion. It's kind of like his insides. That word talks about your insides are moved. Internally, he was moved with with pity and compassion because he said they were weary and scattered. They 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 were heavy. There was a heaviness in their life and they were scattered. And then he uses this analogy. Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, without direction. He saw them as people who did not know the way they should go, did not know how to survive. This is what Lauren was saying. There's, we just try, they were just trying to survive the day. But they didn't have direction. They didn't have anyone showing them what what they could get out of life, what they could get from God. And this is what Jesus said. He said to his disciples, he saw them, the people, and he said this to his disciples. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. The summary is still this. Is the harvest still plentiful? Is the labor still few? Yes. Same. This is, nothing's changed here. The harvest is still out there, broken, scattered, weary, directionless, beaten up. You know, I, I arrived a little bit later than normal to church because I'm usually here really, really early. I spent as much, every minute I could spend with my son and those three grandkids before they headed out. But when I pulled up in the parking lot and I saw cars, that's really nice to see cars. I don't see cars when I pull up. And it provoked this prayer as I turned in. I says, Lord, fill this parking lot up with cars that have brought broken people to this place that they can find hope, that they can find direction, that they can get out of the group that Jesus saw and become part of his group. Pray the Lord of the harvest, with sin labors. Or are we saying something like this? There's going to be a move of God sometime. We're going to have a move of the Holy Spirit at some point. That's like four months from now, we're going to maybe see something. And he says, you had this saying like, you know, nah, let's just wait four months. He says, no, stop that. He says, I'm telling you today, the harvest is ready. It's now. It's not four months down the road. It's now. There's people ready now. Are, Are we not seriously, you know, looking over the mandate of what he's giving them that it applies to us, not just to them? we to pray. This is what he said. This is, the, this is the answer to a ripened harvest with scarce labors. Pray, intercede, petition God to send labors into his harvest. But the praying involves our action, does it not? I'm telling you what he did not tell him. Pray that God will send someone besides you. Lord, send, some, send them. we go too far with this word sin there it is again pray that the lord would send labors but this word is intensive it's amazing when you look at the original word it's ekbalo it's the same word if you picked up something and just threw it i just see god wanted to grab certain segments of his church and just throw them into the harvest field this is not the usual word for sin. This is a word about intensively. Lord, thrust, thrust with a mighty force, because the harvest matters to God. People matter to God. We didn't come up with that. It matters to God. Remember when Jesus said, "I will build my church." Here's another word for you, ecclesia. Ecclesia. That's when he said, I will build my church, he said, I will build my ecclesia. You know what it means? It's called out ones. Very good, Bill. You can teach the Greek lesson next week. Ek is the word for out. Ecclesia comes from the verb kaleo. That might ring a bell with some people, meaning to call. And he was saying, I will build my called-out ones. In other words, he calls us to himself first, and then he sends us. He calls people to salvation, but it's just not to be trophies on a mantle somewhere. He calls us into his work, and that we identify with his heart, his passion, and then he sends us out into this harvest field. Aren't you glad he didn't say, I will build my ecclesia, my called-out ones, and the church's gates will withstand the assault of Hades? Because that's a reversal of pattern, isn't it? The gates of hell will not stop the church, meaning the church is on the offensive, not defensive. God has not called us to be foxhole Christians, to hunker down Get a good supply of about a year of food. I I even see TV ministries advertising a year's supply of food. And I want to say to them, stop it. (laughs) Just stop it, will you? God has not called us to hunker down. He's called us to get out there. Can you see that we've come up with a different mentality? Not a risk-taking people to go into regions that the enemy has occupied and, and preach the kingdom of God. But we're going to survive. We're going to be on a survival course. We're going to be—I guess they've got words for people like that. It's got a year supply. But if you have that, just don't tell me you have that. I can understand. I tell my brother, if that happens, I'm coming to your house because he's got to have two years of green beans canned. I've never seen that many green beans. I'm coming to your house, we can live off your green beans. <laughs> Let me take you to another place. John chapter 20. Quick, quick trip over to John 20. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And listen, he's, he's called us out of darkness into his light. He's called us out of death, sin and death into his freedom. He's called us out of fear into this glorious confidence that it is well with my soul. We can sing those words not just because it's a great song, it's a truth that he's freed me. I'd never get used to just saying Jesus, my Lord and Savior, without the reality of, of him doing that and being that. Those are not titles, those are functions. And we shouldn't get too far from the reality of that, that he's called us to himself, to belong to him and not to ourselves. In John chapter 20, Jesus shows up one of those brief, one of those few moments that he reveals himself to his apostles. And he just shows up, poof. And he says this, I love this. Peace be with you. Isn't that great? You about scared the daylight out of us. You do the poof, you're there, like, ah. But he says, "Peace be with you." What does he say next? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. There's another word for sin. It's a different word. It's not Ekbalo that we're supposed to pray that God will throw labors into the harvest hill. This is a different word. Different word for send. He said, I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. Didn't he say that in in John 4? That I have come to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the Father's will because he has sent me here on a mission to finish his work. And he says, that sending is now to you. As he sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you the same way with the same mission to be partners with me. What do you, he doesn't give us. Someone says, what is the, your church's mission? It's, it's his mission. How do we have a different mission than Jesus' mission? I know people say it a little different, have phrases and all, because a mission statement caught on years ago. All businesses have one. And I'm like, well, our mission statement was put there a long time ago. It's Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission." He's telling these men, he says, you're not going to be about a different work than what I'm about. You're going to be in the same work. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Interesting word. Comes from the verb apostello. Does that sound familiar? Apostello. The noun is apostle. It literally means one who is sent. And we have an avalanche of people that love titles today. Bishop, apostle, apostle, bishop, bishop, apostle. Bishop, apostle, right, reverend, holy, whoever. We just have people that are like caught up with, I'm telling you, You are apostolic when you decide to go because there's no apostle and no one's ever been in an apostolic ministry without hearing his call to go. It is defined as someone who is sent on a mission. I've often said I think most of the time that we use that word, we're actually referring to a lot of missionaries who are going to Somalia, who go, they're going to Sudan, they're going to Libya, Algiers, Tunisia. They're going into Syria. They're going into places that are dangerous. Mogadishu, I told my son, I read this testimony of someone whose, their family is, is called to go to Somalia. He said, why are they going there? That's dangerous. I said, that's right. But God calls. Th- these are people who are sent. They're not concerned about what's there. They're just concerned they're obeying him. And he tells him, I'm sending you. There's two sermons I listen to every now and then. I don't listen to them often because I feel like when I'm listening to them, I'm, I feel like the, uh, you know, the, the old wrestling you know, television programs, not, not the stuff today, but the old ones where they pick them up and body slam them, pick them up and body slam them. I've, I feel like that I've just been body slammed when I listen to Paris Reed Heads Ten Shekels and a Shirt. I just, and I know how he finishes with the missionaries, the Moravian missionaries. I've I heard it so many times. I know every word of that sermon, and I know how he's going to finish, and it still breaks me. Ten shekels and a shirt. Sermon of the century. Back in 1960s sometime, I think. And a more recent one, back in 2012, Dick Brogdon. It's a missions summit. Where was that at? Fort Worth? Fort Worth? And I, I've lost count how many times I've listened to it. But in a, in a part of this sermon that I have, I have what I was going to read to you of what he says, I think we've got it where you can hear him say this.
1: Disabuse yourself today of the notion that God needs you. China does not need you. Afghanistan does not need you. Libya needs you not. The Middle East, the Orient, the islands of the sea, Somali pirates, Thai Buddhists, Saudi princes, European atheists, they don't need you. They don't need your smallness. They don't need your weakness. They don't need your baggage. They don't need your sin. You need Cairo. More than Cairo needs you, you need Syria, you need Mauritania, you need Turkey, you need Myanmar, you need Indonesia, you need Spain to reveal your smallness, to break you, to cast you in fragments upon the mighty rock. You were not providentially brought to the summit because you are needed. We don't need you. The nations don't need you. Jesus doesn't need you. He doesn't need your words. He doesn't need your deeds. He doesn't need your ideas. He doesn't need your puny security measures. He doesn't need your strategy. He doesn't need your individual preference about where you should go. He certainly doesn't need your ridiculous strength or undisciplined spirit. We are not needed. But we are invited. The God of glory invites us. The Lord of all peoples instructs us to preach the gospel among all the ethne. And his surprising condition of invitation is surrender.
0: Now, it's kind of hard as you're listening to that to think that they're having this to encourage college students Spend a year on the mission field. (laughs) I love seeing some of the expression on these students' face like, did we come to the right summit? (laughs) This guy's just beating us up. We're not needed. I guess we'll just all get up and walk out. No, they didn't all get up and walk out. At the end of that, practically everybody got up and walked down to surrender themselves to the purpose of God. And just think how ridiculous the idea is of saying in any setting, God needs anything, anyone. That would make him lack, would it not? The word need? And yet those great words. But we are invited. God allows us and invites us to have a part in his stuff. It's amazing. He could do all of this without us. But he's purposefully said, I want you to be in the harvest field. I want you there. I want you praying. Can you think of the last time you prayed specific words? Lord, there's... Two countries in this nation that has over a billion people, China and India, would you send laborers there? Because every one of those faces are people created in the image of God. There's no person born that is not created in the image of God who has this innate, think about it, there's an innate desire in people of someone or something greater than themselves. Even in the most primitive of cultures, whether they worship the tree or the crocodile in the Nile, as some did, and, and sacrifice infants. They, they, they thought of something that was bigger than them that would take the curses off their life, and if they were sick. Maybe they had to do something because the God somewhere was mad at them. There's this innate hunger in people's lives to know the purpose of life. And that's the harvest. That's the harvest he's talking about. Do you think that he still wants us to pray about this? That this is kind of like is not just for first century churches, it's kind of like for us? Well, are we? Do we have a sense of urgency seeing our broken culture and our. Tweets and our Facebook post and anything that's a response really needs to be looked through the lens of what does God want. What does God want for our marriage? What does God want for our family? What does God want for someone in substance abuse? What, what does God want for someone who is in a, a confusion about their gender? What does God want for them? He wants them to know him. He wants them to discover the real meaning and purpose in life, and it's not about living on this plane. It's about living in this plane in a relationship with him, and it keeps these passages in play for us. The last part of Mark, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say be concerned about Who receives or who rejects? He says, just do it. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, what is typical when someone is calling somebody? What's a typical phrase? If you want some if you're calling someone to yourself, what, what's about the only word you'll say? Hey. hey? Come here. You gotta get their attention, but he says, Hey. Come here. I love it when kids get hear those words. Come here. Ooh. It's a typical word used for come. What about when you want to send someone, what's the typical word? Go. And both of those words characterize Jesus' response to people. Come unto me, all of you, that the invitation to know him. Take my yoke upon you and learn me. Learn who I am. Be connected to me. Grow with me. Walk with me. Live in the dynamic of being connected to me. Come to me and experience that. And then he turns right around to the apostles he called to leave their fishing nets, leave their tax collection business, leave whatever occupation they had. Come and follow me and I will make you to go and catch people. I will make you fishers of men. You have to go and catch them. In Acts 1.6, they gathered around him and he said, and they said, Lord, you know, people who said they should look at Acts 1.6. Lord, are you this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not for you to know. Can't wait to tell that to someone. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His authority, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that power is functional so that you will be my witnesses, my voice. I'm leaving, but you're going to be my voice. I'm going to give you my voice, my mission. My power is going to be in you. To be my voice... In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as, and as he was taken up in a cloud, the cloud hit him. And, and this, is, this is what the final words they heard Jesus say, to the ends of the world. Ends of the world. The time is now. And the ends of the world could be right next to you. Your neighbor, your coworker. That's your harvest field. Your fellow student, someone you've befriended at the gym, just, they're the harvest. They're your harvest. And the Lord is calling us to go to the harvest. He's calling us in order to send us. What do you think? Do you think he wants us to pray and intercede that he would send more laborers into his harvest. That's his purpose is to send us. Not to maintain, not to keep the status quo, not to just hunker down and survive this world, but he wants us in the harvest field. He wants us where people are at. Would you stand with me and if Michael and the team could come up. I looked so to preach this this morning and see it doesn't matter if I call you to do something but it matters when he calls you can you hear him can you hear him calling you this song has those words oh come to the altar Jesus is calling Lord, it's, I just believe it's your will for all of us to be in the harvest. It's obviously of high priority to you because you reinforce this more than once. The harvest is the woman at the well. The harvest is the broken person, the five-time divorcee, the, the one whose family life has been shattered by disappointments and pain. That's who your eyes are on, Lord. Forgive us for not looking that way your eyes are upon the substance abuse addict. Because you want to rescue them. and You want to break the power of that addiction and bring them eternal life and everlasting life. Lord, if we have just become comfortable just staying put, would you pry us out of that place? That's not where we need to be. Press us more, Lord, that we're to be your voice. That's intimidating to us. That's, that's frightful because of engaging someone in a conversation that deals with the matter of eternity and the matter of salvation. And yet, whether it's a 7-year-old or a 70-year-old, the harvest is plentiful. Children, young people, college students, the University of Alabama, the harvest is everywhere. Everywhere someone turns, there's harvest, there's harvest. There's a ripe field there because there's searching going on there's longing going on and it's just the wrong stuff that's there trying to satisfy it Lord but for those of us who've tasted of your life who've tasted of living water we know that the answer is not of this world it's from above it's your kingdom it's your kingdom Lord at least Lord move us to remember your admonition, intercede. Ask the Lord to throw labors into the harvest. Maybe we need to add, Lord, throw me. Throw me into the harvest. Throw me into the unfamiliar to have your heart and the basic tenets of salvation that you died on the cross for our sins and you were raised from the dead to give us life. And anyone who believes that and calls upon you will be saved. You know, Romans kind of gives this sequence. How can they believe on him that they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one... Is telling them, and how can they preach unless they're sent, apostello? Are you ready to be sent <laughs> into unfamiliar territory? Sign me up, Lord. I want you to respond this morning. You can respond there. You can respond. But Brogdon asked those college students in 2012, the condition of the invitation is surrender. And I'm a firm believer that we probably have to do that every day. Lord, I surrender myself to your purpose. Can we do that this morning? This altar's open for us just have a, a few minutes of seeking him.